Well, good morning. We are glad that you're here, and we are going to be closing out our study of the Beatitudes. Uh, It's hard to believe how many weeks we've been doing this online and not in person, Um, but we're so glad that you are joining us, whether you're joining us live or joining us later, uh, and that you are just taking that time to be with us. Um, A couple of things I want to let you know about before uh, we get started in finishing up these first few verses of Matthew 5. Um, is we do want to be praying for the Stock family. Uh, Don, Sister Tracy, uh, passed away this week. And uh, so be praying for them um, as they struggle to just love each other and to deal with all of this. Um, and just let them know that we love them and that we're here with them. Also, uh, I'd like, because we're extending the online uh, service option, um, if you are interested in filming either um, a prayer or a uh, you reading scripture, I would love for you to participate in our service, and that would just look like videoing it on your phone, uh, sometime during the week, sending it to me, and then we can show it during the service. I'd love to to begin to to show more journey faces um, for everyone to participate with that. So if you're interested in doing that, let me know. Um, I may call some of you and ask you to do that, but it's a great way for us to stay connected and. With- to participate and just be a part of that. We are going to be finishing up the Beatitudes, and it's very interesting the way that Jesus starts his ministry, excuse me, starts his ministry um, as people are gathering around him, and he has the opportunity to set the tone for what he's doing and why he's here. And interestingly, in that tone, uh, as people are coming around him, he speaks very specifically about what it looks like to be blessed. And he's going to launch into a lot of topics to help people understand what does it look like to truly know God and to follow him. And what we know as we enter into this chapter is that a lot of people have gathered around Jesus. He has been healing them, teaching. uh, He has been caring for them. And the majority of those who are gathering around him uh, don't have much social standing. They don't have wealth. Uh, Most have some kind of issue. They're sick or they're just looking for some kind of healing. And so they're coming around, and we know that Jesus is just now starting to actually call what we would know as the 12 disciples. So this group of people he's talking to are people that are enamored with what Jesus is doing. They are interested in their own healing. But at the same time, Jesus wants them to know, this is what I'm here for, and he begins to lay out what that's going to look like. As we read through the Beatitudes, I hope that some of them have uh, stuck out as something different than maybe you've read them before. It's very easy to read these and simply begin to believe, I should just go do this stuff. I should be poor in spirit. (laughs) You know, I should be merciful. I should be pure in heart. I I should just be all these things. I should just hunger and thirst for righteousness. And the problem is, is that's a very frustrating way to read it because a lot of these things are not just about actions. They're about motives. They're things that our heart feels and what our minds think. And you know as well as I do, just telling ourselves, you need to feel this way and you need to think this way, that is a very tall order. And so it can be frustrating to read these and either we just try to pretend, I'm going to try to pretend to be merciful, but that's not really what Jesus is, is trying to get at. He's not trying to give a laundry list of if you want to be a good Christian, then now this is what you have to do. Instead, what he's saying is, this is what it looks like 
to really know and follow God. And interestingly, this is all prior to Jesus dying on the cross. So he's saying this is this is the goal. This has been the goal all along. This is what God has wanted all along. This is likely what it would have looked like had had we not, not sinned in the garden, had we continued to walk with God in the garden. This is the the kind of relationships that we would have with people, and it would be overwhelming and empowering, and it would be universal. But as sin entered into the world, it changed all of that. So now we're at odds with people. Now we have to be merciful because we live in a in a time when people like to punish. <laughs> you know, we we need to be peacemakers in a time where people like to divide and and create chaos and strife and and divide people. So, you know, we live in a time in which God did not want us to to have this existence, but because sin entered in as a result of Adam and Eve's choice that we ourselves replicate in our own lives, he wanted to show us what it would look like had that not happened and what it can look like as Jesus leads us back to more perfectly mirroring the image of God that he created within us. So I hope that if, as we've gone through these, it maybe has liberated you a bit on the days that you don't feel merciful and you feel like an absolute failure and you feel like, you know what, maybe God doesn't love you or love me. You know, maybe there's a day that you just look in the mirror and you say, you know, pure in heart is not me. There's nothing authentic about me. I'm an absolute failure when it comes to my faith. That is not what Jesus is trying to say. But he is instructing us on what it looks like to know him and to follow him. And so as we began with those initial uh, beatitudes, what we found are that those people that trust God rather than themselves or anyone else, those people that fully trust him are going to be blessed. What we also saw are that those who hunger and thirst or yearn, I like the word yearn, we yearn for righteousness, not just that we yearn to be right, because listen, you don't have to know Jesus at all to yearn to be right and prove everyone else wrong, right? It's not just that we yearn to be right or to do right. What we yearn is not just for everyone to get on the same page for what we say is right, but instead it's it's that all-encompassing idea of doing and being right, but also doing right by others, which really shows us a lot of the teachings of Jesus, puts them into perspective, and and in many ways changes the way that we understand the rest of the Beatitudes. Because if we're yearning for righteousness, we're yearning to do right by others, we're yearning to do right by God, we're yearning for others to do right by each other and others to do right by God. And so there's a relational component here that once we are yearning for righteousness in that way, to do right, to be right, and to do right by others and others to do right by us, then that relational component begins to show us why and what it looks like for us to be uh, to do that. We are merciful, we are pure in heart, and we are peacemakers. And it would be great for a section on blessing, would it not, that it, it ends there. Like, you're going to just be blessed. Like, it's all going to be good. And just you're going to build relationships and you're going to heal relationships and you're going to know God and you're going to lead people to God. And, and you don't have to worry about stuff because you're trusting God. And you know, it's just great. And now let's go have lunch. Wouldn't it be great if that's how the Sermon on the Mount went? But instead, he, he then takes a turn, which is often what Jesus does, because Jesus is less interested in getting people to talk about him than he is about being changed by him. And so he always ups the ante 
when things may feel a little too comfortable, yeah, I could, I could be merciful. I mean, I could. I could work on being pure in heart. And you know what? I, I can try to be a peacemaker. I can do those things. I, I'll work on those things, and I, that's, that's okay. I can do that. So he ups the ante like he normally does, and he then begins to talk about persecution. So last week we talked about persecution, and we talked about the fact that uh, many people are persecuted in the world. Jesus is not talking about persecution in general. What Jesus is talking specifically about is religious persecution because of your faith. And if you're following along on version, we have our notes there. I know it's really hard to do two things online at the same time. Um, but there are song lyrics available on version as well as message notes. But persecution, the de- definition we used last week was this, the act of harassing, oppressing, or killing people because of their difference from society. And there are all kinds of ways that we demonstrate a difference from other people, are there not? We, we are all keenly aware uh, of the national conversation around race right now that we We often see some people treated differently because of their skin color than others. Maybe it's the kind of music you listen to. Maybe it's the people you hang out with. Maybe it's your career and people don't like your career. They think that you have a bad career and you're just kind of different from the the mass group of society in the world, or we'll just call them the world. You're different from the world, so so they harass you and oppress you and, and maybe at times try to kill you. So we have this kind of overarching idea of persecution that feels very bad because you you can't really imagine persecution without some level of pain or suffering attached to it. But yet Jesus is saying, we're going to be blessed as a result of that, which takes us back to what is a blessing. Now, I want to come back to that definition again and when I end in a few minutes, but Blessing, as we've seen in Scripture, is more than just uh, like getting a present. <laughs> Hashtag blessed. It's more than just getting to walk on the beach, right? It's 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 more than they've got my favorite flavor of coffee back in stock. I can go sit at Starbucks and drink it. You know, hashtag blessed. The blessing in Scripture is much deeper and much bigger than that. There is a component of happiness attached that it is kind of this insane, awesome joy or happiness that is really unexplainable to others. But blessing is more than that. Blessing is also a a consecration, a setting apart in which God is is showing us we are set apart. We are made holy. He looks at us differently. And there is a real blessing in that. And so as we understand blessing, then it begins to change from just the idea that I am comfortable and I am happy and I have no stress and I have no pain and I have no suffering. And there's no anxiety because that is the way we want to define blessing, but that is not the way that God defines blessing. So we're going to come back to that to just kind of wrap all of this up in a few minutes. But as he enters into the conversation, and I'm not going to rehash last week, persecution is, has been a part of the people of God from the very beginning. And you can walk through the Old Testament and see where the people of God were often harassed because they would not bow down to the authority or the idols of those around them. They would go to war because of it. They were, were imprisoned, enslaved, killed. They tried to breed their Jewishness out of them. 
by having them intermingle with a, another nation, another culture to try to eradicate the Jewish people. We, we've seen all kinds of persecution throughout the Old and the New Testament. And as we go through that, last week we talked about a very specific type of persecution. Today we're going to talk a little more broadly, and then we're going to pivot and talk not just about what does it mean to be persecuted, but what do we do in response to persecution? How do we act differently in our own lives? Because part of our understanding and maturing as believers is not just that I take it. Like, I'm a great punching bag. You just punch me and punish me and hurt me and cause me pain and suffering. It's not that we just become great punching bags, but it causes us to change the way we respond to people even when other people may respond to us negatively. So let's look at uh, what Scripture says about all of this. Um, in 2 Timothy, Paul is very specific to Timothy, talking about what this is going to look like. He says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. In other words, there's no escape from persecution for those who honestly are seeking to follow God with all their heart and with all their soul and with all their mind. It is inescapable. The only way to escape it is to avoid the whole definition of persecution, which means do not look different from the world. And a lot of people choose that option. I will, if I'm not different from the world, and sometimes we, we couch that in religious language, like, um, I just want to uh, be relevant and let people know that I'm not judgmental. And I just want to be friendly and love everybody. And yet, while that's a part of our calling, there is a deeper part to living a life of following Christ that will put you at odds with the world. And if you choose that lifestyle, Paul is saying you will be persecuted. Jesus talks about this in two different ways. Matthew 5, uh, verses 10. This is what we looked at last week. Um, and this is, I'm reading from the New Living Translation this week because I, I like the way that it's, it's worded. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right. We talked about for righteousness sake. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right for the kingdom of heaven is there. In other words, God is blessing you when you seek to do right, to be right, uh, as God defines right, and then as you are seeking to reconcile people together and people with God, this is what righteousness looks like. And when you begin to do that, you begin to bring people together, especially with God, and you are you know, following his call, his commands, his teachings to do what's right, to be right in the way that God says is right, then people are going to look at you differently. And when they do, you will be persecuted. And when you are persecuted, understand you are blessed. You are set apart. You are consecrated. You are made holy. You will be insanely happy because the kingdom of heaven belongs to you. Belongs to you. This thing we talk about, this heaven that lots of people want, but they may not want it more than everything else in their life. This thing that you give your life for, that you hope for, that you pray for, that you daydream about, it is so incredible. The, the blessing of heaven is so incredible that it overshadows any type of persecution that you may undergo. And 
we have to understand when Jesus is talking about persecution, you know, we joked last week a little bit about, you know, well, they, you know, they didn't put Christ, Merry Christmas on my uh, my coffee cup or I had a string break in the middle of a worship set, which Josh doesn't do that, by the way. So I, I didn't, Josh doesn't do that. I was not a dig at Josh. Uh, but, you know, we have a tendency to say things, oh, I'm just being persecuted right now or or Satan is is attacking me right now. Jesus had in mind when he talked about persecution, certainly doesn't lead to death, but he absolutely had in mind that Stephen was going to be stoned. He absolutely had in mind that that was going to be happening. He absolutely had in mind that, that John was going to be put uh, in a vat of boiling oil to try to kill him. He absolutely had that in mind. He absolutely had in mind that Peter would one day hang upside down on a cross, giving his life for the gospel. And Jesus, when he talks about persecution, he he is not skimming the surface here. He is saying for persecution, even that leads to death because you're different from the world. The kingdom of heaven belongs to you. So as we understand this and as we look at this and as we continue to try to figure out, well, what else is Jesus saying? Jesus addresses it again and he says it this way in verse 11. He says, God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. So let's break that down. What's happening in this statement of persecution? So what Jesus is literally saying is you're going to be mocked and persecuted, the broader idea of persecution. People are going to lie about you. They're going to say all kinds of things that aren't true about you, all kinds of evil things about you, and they're going to do it because you are my followers. Now, I just can imagine the whiplash that happened in this crowd who have been there and seen him healing people and be like, me next. I want to be healed. This is amazing. I don't know what's happening here, but heal me. Heal me. This is wonderful. The Messiah must be here. Jesus, this, who is this guy? To, to then turn to, and if you're going to follow me, you're going to be mocked and lied about, and people are going to make up stuff about you to make other people hate you. This is the life it's going to look like if you want to follow me. I, I don't know. I guess depending on my ailment, I, I might stick around or I might say, you know, this, this, uh, this problem I have is not that bad. <laughs> I'm not sure I want those things, which is exactly why Jesus says those things. Because if you're not serious about him, none of this stuff will make sense in your life, and you will deny that it's even possible to be insanely happy while someone is lying about you to everyone else. He wants you to know that this is life-changing stuff, but not if you're dipping your toe in. Only if you're all in are you going to experience these things. And just like this isn't a laundry list to try to prove that we're all in, what he's saying is, if your heart is all in, this is what happens to you. Not as a way to get all in, but this is what happens when you are all in. Now, that's a hard concept to, to, to give to people because what we are a consumer culture. We like to know what something costs, what do I have to give, and then what am I going to get? And the gospel many times falls into that consumer language. Okay, this is what you need to do. This is what you're going to get. 
is what you're going to get worth what you're going to have to do or to give up or to become? And if the answer is maybe, well, you don't necessarily get the thing that's going to happen unless you're all in. This is why he's talking about persecution. But we cannot forget that I, I reject the gospel that says to follow Jesus means to enjoy and look for suffering. I do not look for nor enjoy suffering. I would love to be able to say, you know what, when things go bad, I just feel even better. Because this, this is the time to live for that, right? If you can just, no matter how bad it gets, I feel great about everything, well, this is the time for you. But for most of us, that's not what we're looking for. I, I don't want to follow Jesus because he promises me suffering in this world. That's not why I want to follow Jesus. And that is not what Jesus is asking us to do. But he is saying, listen, I make people really angry. And so if you're going to follow me, you are too. What he's also saying here is, it's not your fault. It's because of me that this is happening to you. But understand that you are blessed in the midst of it. He goes on in verse 12, and he says, be happy about it. Now, I don't know if you've ever had someone uh, tell untruth about you. I have. I'm sure you have too. I think that's a universal experience in the world today. But when someone says something untrue about me, I don't like want to go throw a party about it. I don't get really excited. I don't want to video it. And, and then go back and relive it. You know, I, but he says, be happy about it. Or why would we be happy about it? And, said, and he goes on and says, be very glad for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. So there's a couple of blessings here. One is, we are aligned with those who have been the closest with God throughout all history. We're aligned with the prophets of old. The second thing is, is that we are blessed as a result of this because we have a greater reward in heaven. Now, it is normal to avoid pain. In fact, I encourage it. <laughs> However... There are times that pain comes to the follower of Jesus because of their faith that there is no avoiding. And this is when, it uh, reminds me, sometimes we, I talk with other pastors and we, we, we all know what we're talking about when we say this, but there's a moment when Jesus uh, basically kind of turns away the crowd and he begins to speak in ways that just really puts them off. And, and, and so everyone starts leaving and he looks, over, he looks to his disciples and he says, are you... Are you going to leave too? Are you going to leave too? See, persecution, that is the point. That is what the enemy wants. That is what the world wants, is for you to say, this is too high, the cost is too high, I'm out. I'm leaving. We might understand it a different way in maybe today's vernacular, and that is conform to our way, or we will destroy you. Or... And, and more political language, conform to us or we will cancel you. 
See, that's the world we live in. That's how the world works. Whenever we align ourselves with the world, we align ourselves with a group of people who say, you will be like me or I will hurt you. Now, maybe it will be physical. Maybe it will be emotional. Maybe it will be you losing your job. Or maybe it will be you walking down the street of your neighborhood and no one will talk to you. It can look a lot of different ways. But Jesus' question to us would be the same. In the midst of this, will you leave too? Now, if we're honest, we would probably say, depending on the severity, uh, our motivation to leave is stronger than others. Even Peter went through this on the night that Jesus was betrayed, in which he was asked, are you a follower of that guy right there? And he said three times, no, I don't know who that guy is. And yet Jesus still became a pillar of the church after Jesus was crucified. So it's, it's, it's not that God's expectation is that we are perfectly aligned in all of these things, or that we never struggle with being glad or happy about persecution. That is not what Jesus is saying, but he's saying in general, given the choice to be with me or to not be with me, will you endure the persecution to be with me? This reminds us again, and I, I just I say I, I use these parables all the time because it is such a beautiful picture of the gospel that Jesus himself is so precious and so wonderful and such a great treasure that we will give up everything we have, including our friends, including people saying nice things about us, including sometimes the ability to get the next raise or get the next promotion. Uh, sometimes uh, meaning that someone will actually come after us to take our life from us. But you know what? If all that happens, Jesus is worth it. Jesus is worth it. That's why Jesus also said, you know what? If, if you love your, your mom and your dad and your brother and your sister, and you can just extend that on out to whatever things we love, if you love those things more than me, you're not worthy of me. Because I want your whole being, I want your whole heart, I want you all in. And this is the thing that is difficult to, to teach someone. You have to experience it or know someone else who has experienced it. And that is, I cannot tell you how to feel happy and glad during persecution. I can show you. And as I show you, then I can demonstrate it so maybe you will see it. We can teach it with our own lives. But as we do that, are we demonstrating that Jesus is the most important thing within our life, the most important thing in us, and the most important thing of what we want to do and where we want to go? He's saying in these three verses, you will be persecuted for two primary things. First one, for righteousness' sake. The second thing, because of your relationship with Christ. So the question would be, why does this bring persecution why does following and knowing jesus bring persecution and as we look through some other places in scripture jesus some of his words begin to make sense that they all interlock they all interweave and they all make a difference and so as we begin to understand these other places it shows us that when we focus on living as jesus lived and as Jesus instructed us to live, it does absolutely change our whole world. And so it helps us to understand, well, what is it that people are persecuting? We read in Luke 16, no servant can serve two masters. This is Luke 16, 13 through 15. No servant can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, 
or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all these things, and they ridiculed him. And he said to them, you, who, you are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. In other words, you are going to serve one of two masters. You can serve God, or you can serve the world, or money, or popularity, or fame, or whatever your prized possession is. You can serve one or the other, and we each want others to serve the same master that we serve and believe that they should serve the same master that we serve. That is our motivation for evangelism. That is the world's motivation for persecution is so that we will serve their master and not the one that we believe is the one to serve. Because you can't serve both. You can't serve the world and you can't serve me. You can't have one as a master and the other as a master too. It has to be one or the other. And because of this, they are going to put great pressure on you to choose their master. He says this, those of you that choose the other master, you justify yourselves before men. In other words, you try to tell people, you know what, I'm, I'm a good guy, and I'm just like you, and you should like me, and you should do the things that I do. You justify yourselves before men. Like, I, I do good because of what I do for you. Or what, because I say nice things to you, whether or not our hearts are, are as black as coal or not. You can only have one master. So what do we do with all of this? How do we respond? And this is what I want to encourage you as far as how do we respond now in the midst of the riots and protests, in the midst of racial unrest, in the midst of those who... Uh, seek to keep everything the way it's always been or for those who seek racial reconciliation and and seek equality among people no matter where you are in this how do we respond to persecution and and i would say a few things one i would begin with this our main goal as a people is to reconcile people with god that is our main goal as a people and and we're motivated to do that because when we are reconciled with god it is so beautiful and so wonderful that we want everybody to experience it and so we want others to be reconciled with God. But Jesus told us over and over, if, if you want to package all this in one nice, pretty package with a nice, pretty bow, then there's really one way to do that. Matthew 22, 34 through 30, a Pharisee heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees. He was good at that, by the way, silencing religious people that didn't actually care nor know about God. So they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. I can just imagine, hey, he, he's pretty smart. He knows the law really, really well. Let's see if he can trip Jesus up. Teacher, which is the great commandment of the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. In other words, if you want to know what this is going to look like, it means loving God and loving people, which may lead you to the place of wondering, well, why in the world is that going to bring persecution to us? Yet we return to what Jesus also said when he says, well, you people like to be loved, but they also like to have their own master. 
And they don't want to follow Jesus. And if they don't want to follow Jesus, then they will push back on anyone that says that is the master that you should follow. They're going to push back. They're going to push back on the kind of love that we show because a Christian doesn't just show love by saying nice things. A Christian doesn't show love just by showing up and giving a hug. A Christian doesn't show love just by giving gifts. Sometimes a Christian shows love by holding accountable. Sometimes a Christian shows love by standing up in front of, of a society to say this is wrong when the society loves that thing. Sometimes whenever we show love is the same way that Jesus shows love and we show people the error of the way they view the world because we want them to see the world in a better way, in a more blessed way, in a more incredible way. And as we begin to do that, it begins to change people. Interestingly, this same reality doesn't just bring persecution. It's also what Jesus says demonstrates that you are a follower of God. So we could take all the Beatitudes, just scrunch them down into these two things, loving God and loving people, and he says, people will know you are my disciples by the way you love one another. See, there's a reason that Jesus often went to this crowd of people that needed healing, that were sick, that were poor, that had no privilege, that had, uh, that had no influence, no one cared about them. There's a reason he went to them because they knew. They knew that the world was broken. They knew that the world needed to be fixed. They knew that this is not the way the world was supposed to be. And so they were ready for the gospel of Christ. And yet those who prosper on the way that the world works are the ones who resist the most and those who prosper on the way that the world works often are the ones who are the wealthiest, and the ones who are the wealthiest have the, much to, the most to lose to follow Jesus, while those who are poor and those who are hurting, those who are neglected, those who are oppressed, those who are captive, those who are blind, they have the most to gain through Jesus, and so they're most ready to accept him. This is why Jesus says, you know what? It is a lot harder for a wealthy man to know Jesus than it is for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. This is why. It's not because of wealth. Because there are many people who love Jesus who are wealthy and they are incredibly generous, which is the purpose for Christian wealth, is to be generous with it. There are many people who God has blessed, they are wealthy, and they share that. And they spread the gospel through that. It is not that wealth keeps you from it, it is that you have learned to live so well in this world, to be so aligned with them that they help you succeed in the way that the world values. And that is wealth, power, fame. And yet you can have all those things look like you have it all together and at the same time be completely empty inside. So as we go through this, and as we understand, understand that this is what Jesus is calling us to. To love God and to love people. He goes so far as to say this, well, who should we love? And we read this last week, Matthew 5, 40, uh, 43 through 45. You've heard it said you should love your neighbor, hate your enemy. And I love the way Jesus teaches. We, I, this, we need more teaching like this today. You have heard it said... But that is completely a, 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 bunch, a bunch of junk. That, none of that is true. You have heard it said to love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Yeah, I'll love my neighbor. Man, I don't like him. 
How many times do we live that way? Yeah, I'm going to love people who love me, but man, I'm going to make his life a living nightmare. How many times do we buy into this and somehow we think we are following Jesus because and there are there is a handful of people I love, but everybody else I treat terribly. Jesus says, you have heard this says, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. Again, pointing to the exact same reward. The kingdom of heaven is yours. This thing that's coming in the midst of this persecution, in this little trial period that we call life on earth, at the end of that thing, our hope and our trust is in this thing that Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you, and when it's time, I'm going to bring you to that place. This new heaven, this new earth, whatever all that's going to look like, that is just full of beauty, that is completely devoid of sorrow and sin. All that are for those that say, Jesus is the most important thing, even when the world hates me for it. He is the most important thing. Kingdom of heaven belongs to you so what does this look like today for us i want to finish with luke chapter 10 a story that i think is is um it is good not only for this topic but it is good for this time in our communities it's good for this time in this unrest scott will in a few minutes, pull up his uh, board and he'll mark how many weeks we've been in. And I think we're up to like 13. And at the end of 13 weeks, I think we're all done with quarantine. We're all done with trying to limit ourselves. We're all done with having to follow what someone, we don't even know if we can trust them, what they tell us to do. We're getting frustrated. We're getting angry. And we're... Naming names, getting mad. And some of what's happening in this unrest in our communities is not just about Greg Floyd or Breonna Taylor or Ahmaud Arbery. Some of it is because we're just out of sorts. We're just, I feel it. Do you feel it? I, we're just, okay, this is great. We're at home and school. We didn't have to go to school and you know, some didn't have to go to work, and some even made, they got a raise when they started getting an unemployment check. Like I, This is just beyond all I ever thought life was supposed to be like. And we're getting frustrated, heated, and angry at times. So what does it look like if a person following Jesus for righteousness sake and because he is a follower of Jesus, and we're going to be persecuted for it, what should we do in spite of it? Should we push back? Should we be angry? Should we put a wall up? Should we defend ourselves? Should we defend our, our Christian brothers and sisters? Should we, like uh, we, were, we were watching some cities, militia come out around our, our Christian friends, and we're going we're gonna to hold our weapons out here to defend our Christian friend against all persecution? We're going to nail you, maybe not with a real gun, but instead with our insults or with our judgments or with our looks or with our whispers that they can see us talking about them? What, what tools do we pull out to respond to those who are antagonistic to us? And Jesus would say, put that stuff away. Put that stuff away. That is not what I would have done. That is not what I'm calling you to do. And that is not what it looks like when the Holy Spirit is making you into a new creation. 
Instead, he tells this parable, and it is an incredible parable based on the question of, well, if I'm supposed to love my neighbor, well, who is my neighbor? Because that is the question for many people. Well, who is my neighbor? I mean, I can love some people, but some people, you don't understand, they are not lovable. I cannot love them, right? And this is what he says, Luke 10, verse 25. Behold, a lawyer stood up and put him to the test. I these guys never learn, do they, right? It's, you're not going to trap Jesus, but we're going to try. Just the way it works. Saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Ah, important question, because that's also what we call the kingdom of God. That's also what we call the kingdom of heaven. And they are right on track with what Jesus is saying through all of this, because those who are persecuted, that's what they receive. It's eternal life, kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God. And this is his response to him. He said to him, well, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God, all your heart, all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he, he, Jesus, said to him, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to just himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Probably with those in attendance thinking in the back of their minds, well, Jesus isn't my neighbor. <laughs> I'm not going to love him. He's not my neighbor. And Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down the road and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. How many times do we do that? I don't want to mess with that. So likewise a Levite, an expert in the law, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side, but a Samaritan... He was an outcast, a Samaritan, who as the culture of Israel looked at him as someone who was not a person of God, he was not going to inherit eternal life. This person, this Samaritan, had no standing within them. He, they were the worst of the worst. They were the degenerates. They were the half-breeds. They were the ones that everyone ignored when they walked down the street but a samaritan as he journeyed came to where he was this man who had been beaten and robbed and laid dying in the street and when he saw him he had compassion and he went to him and bound up his wounds pouring on oil and wine then he set him on his own animal brought him to an inn and took care of him and the next day he took out two denarii gave them to the innkeeper saying take care of him and whatever more you spend, I'll repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Now, this parable is so moving for a number of reasons. For one, he's not talking about a Jew. He does not speak about the Levites or the priests in a way that would be honoring or that demonstrates they get who Jesus is. Instead, he points out the one who is the outcast, the one who is oppressed, the one who people look at and they thumb their nose at, and he said, this person loved someone that they didn't have to because they understood everyone is our neighbor. This is one of the most beautiful pictures of being a Christian because what it shows us is and even in the midst of persecution, we still love. We still love. On Facebook, we need to love. In person, we need to love. On the streets, we need 
to love. In our homes, we need to love. Jesus is saying, this is the, this is the way. There's blessing and living this life. But when you live it, you will be persecuted. And when you are persecuted, have joy because your reward in heaven is great. Now, I will tell you this is one of the reasons for the body because it's still a difficult thing to think, well, I'm just going to love all these people who are just going to be, be terrible to me my entire life. But that's what, part of the purpose of the body is that should be the world, not the church. The church has a real hard time not giving tit for tat, right? You persecute us, we'll persecute you. We'll speak against you. We'll sue you. We'll boycott you. We'll tell everybody how evil you are. We have a real hard time not returning for others what they give to us. Jesus said there's another way. And in that other way, there is great blessing. And as we understand blessing, and as we wrap all of this up, I want you to know that there is a part of this that should bring joy to the heart of a believer when you know that blessing means you are consecrated. You are set apart. You are made holy. You are in the family of God. God looks down on you and says, that one is mine. There's real blessing there. There's real joy. There's insane happiness there. But there's also a setting apart. You are set apart. And I will tell you this, when you truly love someone and they set you apart for themselves, it is such a beautiful honor. But it's a blessing. As we go through these Beatitudes, I want to encourage you to dive deeper into your relationship and into your faith with God. I want to encourage you to dive deeper into His Word and the way you express His Word in your daily life as you are at home, as you walk your neighborhoods, as you go to the store, maybe as you go downtown in protest, as you go to work, that family member that you know, I, I'm going to endure them because they're family, because otherwise I would kill them. You're going to love them. Because you've been set apart. In the moments of that persecution, you don't have to sit there and go, oh, woe is me, how awful this is, because that is not the point of persecution. Pity is not the point of persecution. Instead, in the midst of that persecution, we will say, I am aligned with Christ. I am blessed because this is what Christ went through. This is an honor. I'm excited about the glory of God. And I know there is a reward in heaven after all of this because my faith is not just to get me through this life. But my faith is all about the next one. As we live that out and as we live that through, not only endure persecution, but let us have mercy. Be pure in heart. Be merciful. Let us be meek. Let us be poor in spirit that we don't rely on ourselves or anyone else. We rely on God. Let us hunger and thirst for righteousness. That we will do right and be right and do right by others and we will experience this reconciliation, this ministry of reconciliation that we talked about is our life goal is to reconcile people with God and to each other, to restore what God had intended. As we do that, the blessings are unfathomable. So I ask you to join me. Let's follow that Jesus. And let's let the Beatitudes overtake us and let that be our identity. Let him change us and heal us. Some of you may be in the midst of persecution, and if you are, I know that is difficult. 
And in the midst of persecution, it is hard sometimes to be joyful. And I don't think Jesus is literally saying here, like your, your adrenaline starts pumping because you're so happy, kind of like you just won the lottery. Oh, I'm being persecuted. I've won the lottery. I don't, don't think that's what Jesus had in mind. But instead, we have another way of viewing the world. And that is that being aligned with Christ is the greatest honor and the greatest treasure And that which comes after this life is so far better than anything that can happen here. We're just honored to have that treasure. Would you pray with me? Father, Father, I'm the first one to, to admit that I do not live out all of these every day. On the days that I do, there is great joy. And on the days that I don't, there's great pain. And so, Father, I pray that you would, with us, lead us to a place that we would not only be able to experience you fully, but, Father, we would experience the type of joy and happiness that this this blessing brings. Heal us. Forgive us. Give us wisdom and discernment as we move forward. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.